Thank you for tuning in to the World Overcomers podcast. On behalf of our senior pastor, Andy Thompson, we appreciate your continued support and generosity. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to receive updates when we post new content every week. If you would like more information or want to make a contribution to World Overcomers or Pastor Andy, visit www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast. Once again, that is www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast. Enjoy the message. World Overcomers, come on, welcome to the Wednesday night experience. My name is Pastor Manny Arango, and you get to hang out with me tonight. Uh, I got a word for you, really, really excited. Uh, We're going to stick to the notes, too. The past two weeks, well, really last week, I went off on a tangent. My ADHD slash the Holy Ghost got involved, uh, and, and I didn't really get as far into my notes as I wanted to get. Uh, but we're going to get through these notes tonight, okay? Uh, it's week three of a sermon series entitled Brainwashed. Brainwashed. Uh, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. Last week, we looked at Adam and Eve, okay? Uh, if we're going to reject the mind of Adam, then we have to study Adam. If we're going to reject the mind of Adam, then we kind of have to know what the problem is. Like, what did Adam actually do? Uh, if we're going to adopt the mind of Christ, then we need to compare Jesus and Adam. And so I'm trying to help us to get a good understanding of what Adam actually did wrong and the damage that he did to the human psyche. Okay, when we say Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, I would say that Adam and Eve, they bring a mindset into, the, into humanity that dominates the way we think uh, that sin is, is like this, this, this virus that begins to control the way that the operating system of your mind is supposed to function. And so we are going to reject the mind of, of, of Adam, and we are going to accept and adopt and pursue the mind of Christ. That's what this entire sermon series is all about. We learned last week that Adam's first sin is to not to, to fail to properly teach, pastor, and lead his wife. That Adam's second sin is to not protect his wife as the serpent is talking to her and tempting her, deceiving her, and tricking her. Uh, Here we go. Adam's third sin is to now take the fruit from his wife and eat, which means effectively he is letting her lead him. She eats the fruit first. Now he eats the fruit second. And he is now effectively turned into, uh, it's the equivalent of, of him taking her last name. You know what I'm saying? I, I, uh, I saw, whoo, TikTok's a crazy place. I saw a couple on TikTok where, you know, we're, we're out of our minds now at this point, and we want to fight back against patriarchy, and we want to fight back against, you know, male-dominated society. And so in order to be fair, uh, this, this man decided, you know, he married this woman and he's taking her last name. And I'm just going, man, we are so backwards. But that's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. Adam is now saying, yep, you do it first and then I'll follow. 
You eat first, I'll follow. And now he is following Eve into sin, following Eve into deception, following Eve into what's about to be a mindset catastrophe. The Bible says that as soon as they eat, their minds are open, they realize they're naked, and then God shows up. They get fig leaves for themselves, they hide. So now God shows up. God's like, what, what's going on? And now Adam has sin number four. He blames Eve. He says, the woman you gave me, the woman you gave me, gave me the fruit and told me to eat it. And so I ate. So now Adam is a victim, okay? Adam's playing the victim card. I didn't ask for no wife. I don't know why you put her down here with me. I didn't create her, you created her. I'm just a big old victim. Not responsible for my actions, not taking responsibility for what I did. It's just the problem is you. The, God, you gave me her. So now Adam is blaming God and blaming the woman. Uh, he's put fig leaves together. They're supposed to be naked and, and unashamed, which is a sign of intimacy. They realize they're naked. They get fig leaves because now they are going to, they, they can no longer have intimate relationship um, because there's dysfunction and there's toxicity. Um, and, and Adam is not only hiding from God, he's hiding from himself and he's hiding from Eve. And God is now there, get this, to cover them with skins of an animal. The Bible says that God has prepared a sacrifice. The only way to get skins from an animal is for an animal to die. This is a nerdy little clue that tells us that God now kills an animal because it's only blood that can atone for sin and leaves don't bleed. So God now kills an animal so that they can have atonement and I want to talk uh, this week and next week about what that atonement actually looks like. So let's actually talk through the mind of Adam. So first, uh, you can write this down. Uh, all thoughts fall into three categories. All thoughts, all of your thoughts, any thought you've ever had falls into three categories. Three. Number one, thoughts about God. This whole relationship between Adam and Eve uh, is derailed the moment the serpent said something that caused Adam and Eve to doubt the character, the nature, the goodness, the holiness, and the splendor and the perfection of God. Here we go. I'll read it to you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. For God knows. Those three words, right? For God knows. God knows. God knows. God's not ignorant to the fact that this fruit's good for you. And God is trying to hold out on you. God is trying to keep you from experiencing your best life, Adam. Eve, come on. God knows that this fruit is good. And God, this is God's secret supply. This is God's little secret supply. And, and God knows. God knows the truth. And um, 
I don't know if anybody has watched Doctor Strange, okay? I got into these Marvel movies two years ago during the pandemic, and man, these Doctor Strange, these, these Doctor Strange movies, I like Doctor Strange. Uh, the original Doctor Strange movies, um, you know, uh, Stephen Strange, the main character, is at a conflict, he's at a crisis point, because the villain of the movie is, is saying, how do you think the Supreme Sorcerer is able to live so long? The Supreme Sorcerer has tapped in to a magical source uh, that, that she's telling you is unlawful. Uh, and, and, and he's saying, you know, Dormammu is good. That's the name of the, of the, of the you know, beast or the god or the, or the villain. Uh, but the the actual villain that that Stephen Strange is talking to call, has to say something to get him to not trust the supreme sorcerer. And and the serpent does the same thing. He has to say something to get Adam and Eve to not trust God. I need you to get this. The serpent will always say things to cast doubt on the character, goodness, perfection, and holiness of God. So, so the serpent is like, come on, come on. The fruit's good, y'all. This fruit's bomb. You, why you want to keep asking God if stuff's good or if stuff's evil? Don't you want the knowledge of good and evil? Don't you want to attain knowledge so that you can know for yourself whether or not something's good and evil? See, before they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve are morally dependent beings. Morally dependent. Morally dependent. That means every time they see something, they've got to ask God, God, is this good or evil? God, what is this? Is this good? Is this evil? What is it? And God has to reveal to them, is it good or evil? But they now are saying, we want to know for ourselves what's good. We want to judge for ourselves if it's good or if it's evil. And this fruit will let us stop having to go ask God every time we, we uh, want to know whether or not something's good or evil. Humans are still eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God has already said whether or not living with your boyfriend or living with your girlfriend is good or evil. But you want to have the right to have your own opinion about whether or not it's good or evil. So... I'll say, hey, you know the Bible says don't do that, right? Yeah, I know what the Bible says, but. Yeah, I know what the Bible says, but. I, I know, I know, Pastor, but. But, but. We, it, the moment you say but, you're negating everything you said before the but. And now you're about to insert your opinion because you think that you have the ability to judge what is good and what is evil. And I'm here to tell you, you don't. I don't. The Pope don't. Pastor Andy don't. None of us do. The authority here is not what I have to say. The authority here is what the Bible says. And the Bible says, hey, give 10%. The Bible says to actually go above and beyond 10%. The Bible says, hey, live holy. The Bible says, don't cheat on your wife. The Bible says a bunch of stuff. The Bible says a whole lot of stuff about things that our culture doesn't necessarily agree with. And the question here is whether or not you are going to become morally dependent or morally independent. The moment you choose moral independence, where you begin to say, ah, I mean, I know what the Bible says. I know what that ancient, outdated, 
book says. I know what that says, but the moment you do that, you're doing the same thing Adam and Eve did. Where they don't trust. At the root of that is distrust. You do not trust what God has to say. And you do not trust how pastors interpret what God has to say. You do not, you, you think the Bible's been manipulated. You think it's a man-made book. You think all types of things. You've rationalized and given yourself all kinds of reasons so that you can continue to do the sin that you want to do. The Bible says that uh, people saw the light. They recognized that Jesus was light but they rejected the light because their deeds were evil. Not because they intellectually argued against it. No, it's because their deeds are evil. And when your deeds are evil, you create arguments so that you don't feel bad about your deeds that are evil. It's a rationalization, a justification. And so at the root, Adam's sin is to believe the serpent's version or description of who God is. And the serpent's description of God is not accurate. Therefore, the serpent's description shouldn't be trusted. But because Adam trusted the serpent's description about God, he therefore rejected God's description of himself and God's revelation of himself, which up until this point has only been that I'm fully trustworthy, I'm dependable, I'm good, I'm holy, and I'm, I'm awesome. I, I would never withhold something from you. This is the tricky deception of the serpent. The serpent makes Adam and Eve believe that, that God is holding out on them, that God knows the fruit's good. He doesn't want you to have it. Isn't that what Satan still says today? God knows sex is good. He just don't want you to have it. God, God knows, God knows living with your boyfriend before you married is good. He just don't want you to do it. God knows gambling is fun. He just don't want you to do it. God know, God know, come on. God knows gossiping is entertaining. He just don't want you to do it. God knows this is good. He just doesn't want me to do it, which turns God into a killjoy. But can we set the record straight? God's not a killjoy at all. God's awesome. Maybe instead of God knowing it's good, and wanting to keep it from you, maybe God knows it'll kill you. And that's why he wants to keep it from you. Maybe God cares about life. Maybe God cares about you flourishing. Maybe what you call flourishing and what God calls flourishing are not the same. And maybe, just maybe, God knows better than you. Maybe you're finite and maybe he's infinite. Maybe you're foolish and maybe he's wise. Maybe, just maybe, God knows something about creation and pleasure and sex and money and sexuality and sexual orientation that you don't know. Maybe you don't know what you're talking about. Maybe you're a finite human and you should adopt humility. Maybe you should stop being arrogant to, and stop believing that you know. You've got all these answers. You don't have answers. I'm not saying I have answers. I'm saying God has answers. And I've just chosen to become stupid. I'd rather be dumb. You know what? I don't know nothing. God, what do you say? The difference is not that unsafe people think they're smart and safe people are not smart or are smart in a different way. No, it's unsafe people actually think they know what they're talking about. And I hope that Christians are like, actually, I've just acknowledged I don't know what I'm talking about. 
I do not know what I'm talking about. Therefore, I'm going to allow God to brainwash me and tell me what to think because I don't know what to think. And even if I think something's not that bad, if God tells me it's bad, I'm just going to go ahead and believe it's bad. Not because I think it's bad, but because God told me that it's not right to do. The serpent deceives Adam and Eve and convinces them, God knows the fruit is good. God even eat the fruit. God be eating that fruit. Come on, remember Dr. Strange, the supreme sorcerer, she, she, be, she, be, she be taking that strength from Dormop. Come on, come on. She knows it's good. She just don't want you to have it. Distrust. Distrust will always bring division. I cannot be intimate with someone I don't trust. The moment they don't trust God is the moment they sever relationship with God. And they do their own thing. And what do they realize? They realize that the fruit actually does bring about the knowledge of good and evil. And so now Adam and Eve have this knowledge that's too great for them. They have opinions. <laughs> they have the knowledge of what's good and what's evil. And they can judge for themselves whether or not they're going to do what's right or do what's wrong. So first, all thoughts fall into three categories. First, because Adam does not trust God, he eats from the fruit. He eats from the fruit, immediately his eyes are open, and he's aware that he's naked. But unlike previously, his awareness of his nudity should have just been nothing. It should not have had any emotional impact. But this time, his awareness of his nudity does have an emotional impact. And he feels shame. Because first, the enemy attacks your thoughts about God. Then he attacks your thoughts about yourself. Because only when we have the right thoughts about God can we even adopt the right thoughts about ourselves. If you're struggling with insecurity, you're struggling with insecurity because you've rejected God in your life. The moment you bring God back into your life, now is when you can begin to build identity. But you can't even have identity apart from God because you are nothing apart from him. You can't even exist apart from him. And every time God defines you humans, what humans are and who humans are in the Bible, it is in relationship to him. The Bible says that we are children of God. So if we no longer want to be his children because we don't think he exists, then we are now nothing. The Bible then says that we are the righteousness of God. And if we don't know who God is and we don't understand who we are, and if we're righteousness of nothing, then that means we are nothing. And God then says that we are designed to glorify him. But if we don't want him to even be in the picture, then who are we glorifying? And again, we become nothing. The moment you do away with God, you do away with you because you're made in God's image. You're a mirror reflection of him. The reason you're confused about you is because you're confused about him. And the best way to move out of insecurity is to first start to accept what the Bible says about God. To see God is to see you. And you can't see you until you see God. You can't build a roof without the foundation and the walls. Not possible. Identity is fruit of a relationship between you and God. No one can build identity apart from God because he is the very essence. He's the source of our essence. 
So, number one, the serpent convinces Adam and Eve to have wrong thoughts about God. Second, to have wrong thoughts about themselves, Adam feels shame, looks at himself and knows something's off, looks at himself and realizes there's sin, looks at himself and sees his own brokenness, looks at himself and he's no longer innocent, but now his nakedness is a problem. So he hides, he puts fig leaves on, which now means Eve can't see his nakedness and he can't see Eve's nakedness. But they were designed to be naked together. So now the enemy attacks thoughts about others. The first thing the enemy attacks is my thoughts about God. If the enemy can be successful in that, he knows the next thing to happen is you will, you will entertain insecure thoughts. You will be full of shame. Because if you don't believe in God, you don't believe in the foundation. And if there's cracks in the foundation, your house will crumble. The way that the enemy gets your house to crumble is not to attack the walls. He attacks the foundation. He starts telling you things about God that are not true so that you no longer trust God. The moment you don't trust God, you will no longer love yourself. The best way to love yourself is to first get God back in the picture. If you don't have the right thoughts about yourself... You will idolize other people because you're insecure. So you think they're amazing. Or you'll villainize other people. You don't love yourself. You think you're a victim. They must be my problem. So you'll idolize people, which means you'll compare yourself to them. You'll envy them. You'll be jealous of them. Or you'll try to compete with them. Or you'll be emotionally, uh, emotionally needy, emotionally expensive. You always need people to compliment you. How do I look in this dress? How do you think you look in that dress? That's all that matters is what you think. If you like it, go for it. Why do you need other people to validate you? You need other people to validate you because you haven't validated yourself. And you haven't validated yourself because God's never validated you. Whew, I'm preaching. I'm preaching. So we don't fix this by, by starting at the fruit level. We got to go to the root level. If you're going to ever trust others, you got to start trusting yourself. And if you're going to ever trust yourself, you got to trust God. So the first mindset of a believer is a, is a trust mindset. I trust God. I trust what God has to say about abortion. I trust what God has to say about homosexuality. I trust what God has to say about marriage. I trust what God has to say. I trust what God has to say about gender. I trust what God has to say about finances. I trust what God has to say about the gifts of the Spirit. I trust what God has to say about character. I trust what God has to say about morals. I trust what God has to say about politics. I trust what God has to say about business. I trust what God has to say about who I date. I trust what God has to say about parenting. I trust what God has to say about my kids. I trust what God has to say about forgiveness. I trust what God has to say about stewardship. I trust what God has to say. I don't trust me until I trust God. I trust what God has to say about friendship. I trust what God has to say. I trust what God has to say. God has an opinion about it. He's revealed that opinion in the Bible, and I trust what the Bible has to say. The first mindset that has to be adopted before any other mindset can take root 
is a mindset of trust. Trust. Right now, my son, who's one years old, just trusts me. He trusts me. There's nothing in his head that would tell him that I should not be trusted. And if you are going to operate in a functional relationship with God, then you have to return to childlike faith, childlike trust. You have to trust God. Absolutely trust him. Trust everything he has to say. And anytime the enemy tries to cast doubt or throw shade on what God is doing or God's role in your life, you have to reject it immediately. If you're not careful, you give the enemy a foothold. Next, if I trust God, I trust that he designed me correctly. If I trust God, I trust his design. I trust that he made me the right height. I trust that he made me the right ethnicity. I trust that he made me the right gender. If I trust him, then I trust his design, which means I trust what he did. I trust his creation. I trust myself only because I trust him. So I trust that he gave me the right parents. I trust that his will has ordered my steps. I trust that. I trust that anything that I would have needed to fulfill the purpose of God on my life, if he didn't give it to me, that means I didn't need it because I trust him and I don't think he would withhold anything that I would ever need for my purpose and for my destiny because I trust him. I trust God. Once I trust him, now I can start trusting me because God, I believe that your spirit is in me. And if your spirit is in me, then I think there's some wisdom I should have. So I'll trust my wisdom because I first have trusted you. I'll trust my perspective because I first trusted you. And I trust now that my perspective is your perspective because I've brainwashed myself to believe the things that you've told me to believe. I now can trust me because I trust you. But don't get it twisted. I always trust you to override me when I'm operating in carnality or operating in my flesh. When I trust God, and I trust myself, I realize that, you know what? I can trust other people. Because it's liars who think other people are always lying. When someone's lying, they always think other people are lying too. Because they paint everybody else in their image. They project. To the pure, all things are pure. If I trust God and I trust myself, then actually I start to trust people. And I begin to realize that... If I have to take trust back, then so be it. I'll take trust back. But if I don't really believe in myself and I'm insecure and I need to have a relationship with you, then actually I put myself at a disadvantage because now you have leverage to abuse me and you know I'm too weak to go anywhere or leave you. But when I trust God and then I trust myself, that's true confidence. That's not arrogance. That's true confidence. Because arrogance and insecurity both come from pride. Pride, pride, pride is an obsession with self. Adam looks at himself, realizes he's naked. It's, it's, it's an over-awareness of self. It's an over-focus on self. Adam is focused on his nudity and can't move past it. He's ashamed of it. When I'm so focused on me, 
I may focus on my weaknesses. And if I focus on my weaknesses, I'll be insecure and have low self-esteem. If I'm focused on me and I start focusing on my strengths, I may develop arrogance and pride because I think my, my strengths and my weaknesses, my strengths are going to really be the thing that's going to put me up over the top. And if I focus on my weaknesses, I really think my weaknesses are going to be the thing that hinder me from achieving my purpose. The opposite of pride is humility. Humility says I don't matter. Humility says my weaknesses are not about to keep me from nothing, and my strengths are not going to be the reason that I achieve anything. Neither my strengths or my weaknesses have a defining role in my life. I don't believe in me. I believe in God. And God has called me a champion. God has called me a winner. God has called me an overcomer. And guess what? Ding, 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 ding. You guessed it right. I trust him. But I don't get to trust him about my purpose and not trust him about morals. I don't get to trust him regarding the good stuff and not trust him about the stuff that makes me uncomfortable. I have to trust him wholesale. Take or leave everything. I don't get to trust a portion and not trust other portions. I have to trust everything that God says or reject everything that God says. I don't get to pick and choose. There are people who attempt to pick and choose. Those people are double-minded in all their ways. And the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of their ways. That is not how to build stability. Insecurity and low self-esteem is when I'm overly focused on me, on my weaknesses. Arrogance and and arrogance... Uh, and pride is when I'm overly focused on me and I think my strengths make me amazing. Both of those things are centered on self. Both of those things are prideful because pride is not just having a big head. Pride is thinking you matter. I've met a lot of proud people who struggle with insecurity and low self-esteem. And they don't think it's pride because they have the wrong definition of pride. Pride just thinks it is the center of the, of the, of the show. It thinks it is the main attraction. Pride thinks too much of itself. You can think too much of your own weaknesses, still struggle with pride. You can think too much of your own flaws, still struggle with pride. You can think too much of your mistakes, still struggle with pride. It means that the pride has just led you into low, low self-esteem and, 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 and uh, insecurity. Or you can think too much of yourself and only focus on your strengths. That's going to lead you into egotistical behavior. That's going to lead you into, um, into arrogance, both rooted in pride. So first, I've got to fix my thoughts about God. I've got to have a trust mindset about God. Then I have to have a trust mindset when it comes to me because Adam has negative thoughts about God. Then he has negative thoughts about himself. Shame. Then he blames Eve. Negative thoughts about others. Thoughts about God, thoughts about self, thoughts about others. If I get my thoughts about God straight, it overflows into my thoughts about myself. And if I get a good sense of identity, I know who I am, now I'm secure enough to champion others, celebrate others. I'm secure enough to compliment others. I'm secure enough. You can try to celebrate others all you want. It's going to come from a fake place if you don't first heal all those insecurities you're dealing with. You're celebrating them, but you don't actually mean it. And eventually, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. You can't just keep lying. You can't just keep faking it till you make it. At some point, you got to actually fix what's wrong on the inside and start to love you. Thoughts about God, thoughts about self, thoughts about others. 
We want all of those thoughts to have trust at the root. I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord. And I think that my trust of God has led me into accepting my identity. And only when I accept my identity am I even a good friend or a good marital partner or a good business partner to anyone around me. If I don't know who I am, I don't know what I bring to the table. If I don't know who I am, I don't know how you should value me. So I have to get what God says about me straight before I try to operate in positive or flourishing relationship with somebody else. Trust mindset. Next week, we're going to deal with a faith mindset, an abundance mindset. Who knows how, how deep into this content we'll get. Whew, me not finishing just means you have more excuse to buy my book. So you got to buy the book so that you can get the rest of this. But we covered a trust mindset today. Uh, and I think that that, a trust mindset, is going to set you up for the next four. But the next one is a faith mindset. And after that is an abundance mindset. Then after that, um, there's a faith mindset and abundance mindset. Let me check. An identity mindset. An identity mindset. And then an interdependence mindset. All right. Uh, I, I want you to sow. I want you to sow uh, because I believe in everything that I just said. I believe in the power of what I just said. I think that based on what I just said, you have the power to break out of low self-esteem and actually begin to build godly confidence because humility produces confidence. That's what it produces. Humility doesn't produce low self-esteem. No, humility produces confidence. If you're a humble person, then you should be confident. And confidence is not having a higher or lower valuation of self than God has. It's evaluating yourself and valuating yourself exactly the way that God has created you um, and the way that he values you. Um, so I want you to sow tonight because I think that thought will help you change your life. Holy Spirit, I thank you for every gift, for every giver. God, I thank you for every single person uh, watching this live and watching it later. God, I ask that you would bless them richly. God, that you would bless them in their mindsets. God, I ask that you would completely remove anxiety from their life. Their life would be defined by peace. God, I thank you right now in the mighty name of Jesus that everyone giving tonight, operating in generosity, God, I ask that you would open up the windows of heaven and I ask that you would flood their life with blessing that they don't have room enough to receive. God, we love you. God, thank you so much for this process that we're on to renew our minds. God, we ask uh, this all in your son's name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, World Overcomers, if this is your church, then we'll see you here in person on Sunday. If you're just watching, hey, how about you tune in next week for the last week of Brainwashed, this sermon series on overcoming toxic thoughts and taking back control of your mind. I hope to see you next week. Love you. Peace. Hopefully you were blessed and encouraged by this message. Visit www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast for more information on WOCC and events that are coming up. Maybe we are coming to your area soon. God bless.